Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Get ready. Get ready. All right. Today's message, uh, I want to preload this message. It's got, it's got a heartfelt middle but it ends on an amazing high, okay? It, it might pull the heartstrings, but God wants to pull the heartstrings because he wants you to see who he is and how he feels about you, all right? So the title of my message, in honor of it being one of my favorite seasons of the year, Christmas time, also means that the skiing is starting and I am excited to be on the slopes. But the title of my message is Check Your Hark and Change Your Herald. Inspired by one of my favorite Christmas hymns, which you will hear at night of Christmas. Hopefully you're all going. It's going to be amazing. Hark the herald, angels sing, glory to the newborn king. All right? So check your hark. Not check your heart. Check your hark. Proverbs 4, 20 through 23 says this. Let me swipe on the big iPad here. Proverbs 4, 20. Go. There we go. Had to get the facial recognition of the glasses. All right. My son, pay attention to what I say. Hark means to listen. Pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my word. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Okay, the beginning of how you guard your heart, God says in verse 420, he says, pay attention to everything I say. I want to propose to you, church, that the door to your heart is your ears, right? When somebody says, man, you look good today. Don't you feel loved? Like, like oh, thank you. I got dressed up for this. Thank you. Oh, man, you, you're awesome. They give you encouragement. It touches the heart. So, it would, I would propose to you that to protect your ears is one of the ways you protect your heart. What's the loudest voice in your world? Because that's going to be what's impacting your heart the most. And the Bible says this, out of your mouth, the overflow of the heart speaks. So we want to check our heart, check our listen, and maybe, or sorry, Yes, check our hark and change our herald. Okay, hark is to listen intently, and herald is somebody who is appointed to deliver a message for someone else or somebody who proclaims a thing. The new movie that came out was herald as this. It's a proclamation, okay? So, because here's the deal. If out of the overflow the mouth speaks, God says that, these three, as a mature believer, what you're, what you're going towards is you will find that more and more of these three remain, this is out of 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. These three remain, faith, hope, and love. And so, you know, we can learn how to speak Christianese or speak any language in the room, like in a social setting, if you go there long enough, you kind of realize, okay, this is the vibe. This is how you talk here. You go into a corporate meeting, you kind of know how to talk in your work and your corporate after a while. You go into, uh, you know, a social gathering with these friends, and this is how these friends talk, and you go here, and we can learn the language. But here's the deal. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What about the dialogue going on in your head? Do you hark the herald going on in your head? The voice in your head. Anybody ever had like a conversation and then like it didn't go well or you didn't say what you should have said or you didn't say what you wanted to say or it came off wrong and you're in the car and you're just like, oh, you're such an idiot. Oh, oh dang it. Why, why do you even talk? Don't talk anymore. Am I the only one that's bipolar like that? Or anyone, you, know, you know what I mean? Or you think of the perfect comeback like halfway down the road. You're like, oh, I should have said this. Oh, what? You know, but we have that. 
you got to listen to the internal dialogue about yourself, about situations. And if you don't hear faith, hope, love, if you hear things like, oh, I'm never going to. Oh, this always happens. We want to we listen to that because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. All right, so today's message is about calibrating your life to the, to the language of faith. Because faith has a language, so does fear. And by the way, they're the same muscle. So if you're a very fearful person, know that your muscle could be strong to be a faith person. You just got to recalibrate the loudest voice in your head. Uh, I found this very interesting, but we have a chiropractor, Dr. Anthony, in our church. Shout out to Dr. Anthony. He's the best chiropractor. He's a great chiropractor, so you should go to him if you got, need a good crack. Uh, but he, uh, he was, he's talking about in neuroscience, that was delayed. <laughs> I think people are like, can you laugh at it? You can laugh. You can laugh in church. But it, neuroscience has proven that actually your brain is always competing for two messages and only two messages. You are either listening to your senses, your five senses, feeling, touch. For instance, does anyone feel the shirt on their back right now? You didn't until I just said it. Your brain refocused for a minute. I put your focus there. But your brain is always conflicting between two focuses. It is either listening to your sensory mechanisms, your sight, your hearing, you're listening to a conversation, or it is listening to the pain in your body. Those are the two avenues your brain processes. And the guy who made this up won a Nobel Prize, or not made this up, who found this out, <laughs> just saying stuff. <laughs> the guy who found this out won a Nobel Prize because it's really helped people understand the science of pain and how to, how to eliminate pain. So the, the, what I want to propose to you is the loudest voice actually will create the world you're living in. Because you know at any given moment, you have a certain level of pain. If you're standing up, you have a certain level of pressure on your joints, but your brain can say, should we listen to that? Is that a problem? It can actually, de it decides, oh, we need to listen to that, or it'll shut it off. And you won't even notice it because... It, your brain decides this isn't a problem. See, we're mind, body, and spirit. What you think about a lot, what the language you talk in your head will direct the reality of what you're experiencing. That's really deep. That's a good thought. All right. So point number one for those who are taking notes and want to go to heaven, uh, check your hark. It's really easy. It's in the title. Check your hark. Hark means to listen closely, as said before. I'm going to tie these, this story or this message in with a story, a real-life story in my life, uh, where God did a, an actually an amazing work in my family, but honestly, as equally amazing in me. And this was a moment where I realized the power of the voice I was listening to and how I needed to regulate the loudest voice in my, in my head. So... Uh, Valentine's Day of 2020, a month before, you know, all of it, okay? One month before the world got crazy. Uh, my son contracted a rare virus. How rare, you ask? Uh, really, it has been non-existent since almost the 1970s. The doctors had seen one case in California in 30 years next to my son's case. He's actually used now, I had to sign all these papers, he's used as a case study to teach people how to deal with this infection because it's so rare. And it's a disease, it's an infection that causes the, um, the flap in your mouth or in your lungs that closes when you drink water so you don't get the water in your lungs. It swells it up and it shuts your air tube and kids used to die from it pretty commonly. And he contracted that. And no one really knew that he contracted that because it's so rare. And uh, so we wake up one morning and we think Asher at two years old, uh, spoiler alert, he lives, okay? As you would know because he's at church all the time. <laughs> Just want you to know, good ending, okay? But Asher, is, we think he has croup because he can barely, he sounds wheezy. And croup, if you're a parent, you, if you've kids have had it, you know it. It sounds horrible. It's actually not that big of a deal, but it sounds horrible. And he had had that a month before. We're like, oh, my gosh, it came back. So we put him in the bath, get some steam in his lungs. And all of a sudden, I hear my wife scream. She says, Asher is 
turning purple and he's going in out of consciousness. Now we live two blocks from our two exits. We were close to the freeway and we live two exits from a hospital. So I, we just throw him in the car and we take off to the hospital. And you know, I'm blowing every stop sign. I'm driving, roads don't matter. I just need something paved, right? I'm just, and we run, you know, park the car, barely put him park, grab him, run the hospital, and I get him in there. And, you know, you think you're going to have that moment of relief because once you get to the hospital, you're like, okay, we're here. They're going to give him some kind of steroid shot, and he's going to, boom, he's going to be good. And we get him in, they start doing some stuff, and the doctor just looks up after about 10 minutes, and he goes, this is not good. We need to rush him to Rady's emergency, the Rady's Children's Hospital. And it's like, oh, my goodness. You know, it was scary, but all of a sudden I'm like, whoa, this is, just the thought was so heavy, so intense. And so we rush. I go with Asher to the hospital. Lauren's going to take the car and meet us there. And we rush to the hospital. And as we're getting him in, the, doc, the paramedics, everyone's like not like, we, this is normal. Like everyone's kind of in panic mode. And they, they're running him up there. And he's gasping for air. And he's still purple. His lips are purple. His face is purple. And they get him in there, and the doctor there looks at the machine. He goes, we need to go to surgery right now. He's going to have a heart attack. He's two. His heart rate was in, like, the 220-pluses or something. It had been like that for an hour. And so they rush out of the hospital room. And you know you have the fear of flight mechanism. You know, I'd like to say that at that moment, man of God rose up. Faith came over me and died, you know. But I was so petrified as a father. I just didn't know. I felt so powerless. I felt like, I, man, what can, I can't do it. I just, can I trade? What can I do? And right as the doctors ran out to go do whatever doctors do, like get a cart for the surgery room or whatever, um, they run out, and I had texted some people in, on the ambulance right over saying, hey, I need you to pray. And my friend, Lance Williams, a pastor in San Diego at Awaken, right as the doctors run out, he steps in the door, and you know, thank God for people that have faith. Thank God for people. I didn't need, uh, are you okay, bro? No, I'm not okay. I didn't need a, let's just pray that the doctors have wisdom. That's great. I love doctors and I do want them to have wisdom. I needed a faith injection. I needed God to show up because that's my baby boy. And he sees the chaos and he, not, he don't care about nothing. The, just by coincidence, all the nurses and doctors had run out to go get whatever they were going to go get. And he just goes over that bed and he says, in the name of Jesus, I declare healing over this baby boy. I declare death will not have him. Spirit of death, get off him. And I kid you not, he was sedated. You can check with Pastor Lance the next time you see him if you're ever in San Diego. Asher wakes up from the sedation and begins to try to pull the cords off of him. And I'm like, oh my goodness. Listen, there is an enemy. And we don't want to give him a lot of credit, but one of his finest works is to convince you that he doesn't exist and that everything you're facing is always just the natural. There's an enemy, okay? And when, I, when he said, spirit of death, come off this boy, and my son woke up out of that sedation, I realized, okay, this is a, this is a fight for my son. The doctor's going to do their thing, but this is a fight. And, and it's like it, it woke me up. It woke me up. Like, I, I don't have the option to, to not be in faith. I don't have the option. Now, let me... Pause right here. Or I won't pause. I'm going to tell you a little more story. Uh, <laughs> he, they, the doctors come back in. They give him a little more sedation because he woke up, but he's still, you know, they want to take him down there, put a breathing tube in before his, because they could realize his airway was closing, get that breathing tube in, put him in a medically induced coma so they can figure out what's going on. So they take him out and they go do that. And at that moment was the first time that I wasn't on pure adrenaline and I was, had a moment. Now, I'm pausing in the story. I want to tell you the three years leading up to that moment were what I call like my dark, my dark times, my hard times. These were just tough seasons. The first seven years of me and my wife's marriage, it was like God's blessing was just on us. We loved God. We were following God. We were pursuing the call of God on our life. And it was like I had that Midas touch for a season. Like everything I touch feels blessed. Like career was blessed. The youngest regional director in this corporate job and good job and good paycheck. And then became the young adult pastor at Awaken and leading this big ministry and had this amazing team and best leaders on it. And it was like everything I had was gold. And then for, well, there's a whole other story, but God was going to do a work in me. Now, I want to preface this. God did not make Asher sick. 
That's not God's nature. Sickness has entered the world because it's a fallen world and sin entered the world. But that's not God's design. Okay, that's, that's really, that's not, that's not how God works. God didn't make them sick. But up until the last three years, it felt like everything I touched died. Okay, so I went from Midas touch to like, if I even looked at a thing, it was like, and it just passed. I, I, I looked at my bank account, it was like, shrivel up and die. I looked at, I had started a business, and that thing, I, I tried to scale too quick, and we, ugh, it was just, we were on the verge of bankruptcy. My marriage, it felt like we were so, it was just so hard. My, my wife's dad had recently passed away. So we were just, everything in life felt like I was losing. And so as they took Asher away to the OR, it's like this herald, this voice. And this is the grand finale of you losing. That was the voice that was echoing in my head. The predominant voice, the loudest voice. My circumstances have become the herald. So now I'm in this place. Am I gonna stand in faith for my son? Am I gonna pray with faith? Or am I going to listen to the herald? Am I going to listen to the, what voice is the loudest in your head? I want to go to the Bible now. We're going to continue the story. Don't worry, I'm not done. Point one, check your heart. Luke chapter eight, there's a parable in there of the seed. And whenever God talks about seed, he's referring to his word. Okay, you need to understand something about God's word. God's word is living and active. Hebrews says, living active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It actually has the power to transform you from the inside out. Okay? And when the word gets in you, it's pregnant with the why God refers to it as a seed is it's pregnant with unlimited potential. Give you an example. If you give me a, pick a seed, tomato seed. Okay? Give me one tomato seed, I can make a tomato plant. Give me one cycle, I can take harvest all the seeds from the other tomatoes, I can make a hundred maybe even a 1,000 tomato plants. Give me enough land and another cycle, I can make thousands of tomato plants. After that, millions. A few seasons, I could have billions of tomatoes. It's all about the right soil. God's word is the same way. When it hits the right soil and has room for it to breathe and grow and produce in your life, it can then re- re- reproduce itself in your world and keep going and going and going. It's limitless in your word. So... If you, as a believer, don't have this as a normal part of your intake, think about it. We all have disciplines in our life. Most of us, I hope all of us, we brush our teeth regularly. Okay, why? Well, because there's probably negative social ramifications if we don't, right? We have disciplines that we know bring value to our life. I want to propose to you that having the discipline of getting the Word of God into your life is one of the most important things you can do. Why? Because it gives... Because God's Holy Spirit will amen a word in here that is logos. The Bible, logos is the written word. It's what has happened. But when the Holy Spirit breathes on a word of God, it becomes rhema. It means it's alive and active. And it actually has the power. When Peter walked on water, he said, Jesus, if it's you, command me to come out. And Jesus said, come. And the second he said that, the power, the word of God had been released. He now had the authority to walk on water. That's how it works. So you want to have the word of God in you. And some people, you know, you're new to it, and you're like, I don't understand anything I'm reading. Okay? Listen, just because I don't understand how a seed works all the time doesn't mean if it's in right soil, it can't still start producing a harvest. And you'll find that the more you read, the more you understand. And if you're new to this, I want to encourage you, uh, do our one-year Bible because we have you read a little bit of the old, a little bit of the new, a little bit of Psalms, a little bit of Proverbs. It's a great way to do it. If you're not going to do that, then start reading the Gospels. Because the whole Old Testament prophesies about Jesus. So get to know Jesus, and then the the context of the Old Testament will make sense. Moses was a prophetic picture of what Jesus would do for us. Uh, David, a prophetic king of what Jesus would do to defeat the giants in your life. So everything prophesies to Jesus. So get to know Jesus, and the Bible will begin to make more sense. Amen. That's good preaching. So, seed. Luke chapter 8. Jesus preaches. He had this really... Funny habit of preaching a message and not explaining it. He would do that all the time. He preached a cannibalism message and didn't give context. Shrunk the church by a lot. Okay. This is another one of those times. He goes to the people. He says, the kingdom of God 
is like a man that throws seed. Some falls on rocks, some falls on paths, some falls in uh, weeds and thorns, and some on good soil. And then he just like leaves it like that. Just no context. People are like, well, he's healing a lot of people, so we're gonna keep listening, you know? But then the disciples, they got the front row where they'd be like, hey, Jesus, what are you talking about? And he breaks down this, this pat, that parable that he showed. And, and I want to focus on just one verse in it. You can read the whole thing, see the different seeds. But I thought this one was so true. Some people, I want to tell you this. Some people you say have a hard time hearing God. Can I encourage you? Having a hard time hearing God does not mean God's not speaking. In fact, the Bible is very clear that God is always speaking towards you. But just like I have a hard time at the moment listening to 105.3 FM, why can't I hear it right now? No, I mean, I don't even know if that's a real radio station. I just picked a number, okay? If that's your radio station, don't be offended. I'm saying in this exact moment in time, I cannot hear that. I cannot hear it. But if I go in my car and get the dial right, there's, there's stuff coming all day long. It's just pumping out there. And God's like that. He is always speaking. He wants to speak to you. And I want to propose, based off of this scripture, that actually what causes us not to hear God is not so much he's not speaking, it's that we have too many other voices going on in our head. Check your heart. How much are you listening to? Who are you listening to? How many voices get, a right, get some authority in your life? Let's read the scripture. Luke 8, 14. Now to the ones that fell among the thorns are those who when they have heard go out and are choked with the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. Man, I really want to learn how to hear God. I really want to see the fruit of God in my life. I really want to see God move in, in power in my life and, and blessing. And I want to see, you know, miracles happen. I want to pray for people. That's all the fruit. That's the fruit of the gospel. It's called the good news because it should reflect good in your life. That's what God promised. He's a good father that gives good gifts. And when you have Jesus, you're in right relationship with a good father who gives good gifts. And thus, there will be good. Now, hear me on this. That doesn't mean we don't have seasons of tribulation. The Bible actually promises that. When hard times come. No, you don't get a free pass. Getting, getting in the boat with Jesus doesn't mean there's no storms. In fact, sometimes there's storms just so he can show you that he can calm the storm. Okay, but getting in the boat with Jesus doesn't mean... We all live in a fallen world. People are going to let you down. People are going to betray you. Situations are going to happen. Freak accidents are going to happen. Things are going to happen in this fallen world. So we, we don't want to approach God like a rabbit's foot. Like, ooh, God loves me when good things happen. No, God loves you all the time and wants to bring good things in your life. But sometimes uh, there are going to be things you're going to have to take authority over or walk through, Psalms 23 says, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Here's the deal. When bad things happen, they're meant to be a doorway or a, a thing you go through. They're not meant to be a living room. They're meant to be a doorway. As a Christian, they're meant to be a doorway, not a living room. But so often, because of discouragement, that's why faith, hope, and love are important. I got to have faith that God's with me. I got to have hope that this is not the end of the story. And I got to have love to be around people, to have people help and be in my world and carry me and encourage me, right? But we, God doesn't want us to camp in our trauma, camp in the tragedy, camp in the thing that happened, okay? God will right all the wrongs in heaven. He will wipe every tear, the Bible says. But we have, we have these battles, but whose voice do you listen to in the battles? So this, is the, this talks about the seed. God's word gets in you, but it gets choked, it's not producing fruit. I want to break down cares, riches, and pleasures. Because this is a fascinating thing about cares. If you go into the Greek, the word is merimna. Okay? Extra credit if you can remember that. Merimna. Merimna, literally when you break it down, it means to be divided or fractured in a person's being or parts. So what, when the Bible is talking about being worried, having anxiety having concern or fear, the word used here is fractured, divided. See, when too many voices, we, we, we go to church, we hear the word of God, but is that the primary voice in our life? 
Or do we also allow other voices to have equal say? Married couples, do you allow your parents to have more say in your marriage than your spouse because of fear of letting them down or discouraging them? That is a recipe to put you in counseling or end you in divorce. The predominant voice in situations matters. That was a freebie, by the way. You're welcome. But, but what, how many voices do what your friends think about you hold higher value than what God says about you? Do what, how many followers you have hold, hold more value than what God says about you? And listen, the filter of what you actually adopt as truth should always be filtered. This is the primary. So you aren't going to see mature fruit as a Christian when you say, well, I'm really into th this school of thought or this philosophy or this political party, and then I take the Bible and I try to fit it in my agenda. No, my agenda, when you try to make a salad bar with Jesus, you're like, I like this part, Jesus. This part, I'm going to put this on my plate. And I really like, oh, that's, that looks like, ooh, don't like that. Nope, nope, going to do this one. You're not going to see the mature fruit because other, just like weeds in a garden, they're sucking the nutrients. They're sucking the vitality out of the word of God in your life. God's not trying to get something from you. He's not trying to limit your life. He's not trying to take. He's trying to bring life and life abundantly. He's trying to bring the fruit that he made you to have out of your life. So when he gives you directions or guidelines, he's not trying to be a party pooper. He's trying to protect you. Just like when you go up in the mountains and there's a big cliff drop off and you see a, you know, a guardrail there. It's not like I get mad. I'm like, oh, freaking Utah. They're blocking my view. No, they put that there because when I hit ice, I'd rather hit that than go off the cliff. They're trying to save my life. So I accept that, oh, yeah, maybe it blocks a little of my view, but I'd much rather that than die. You know what I mean? And that's how God is when he, when he puts these principles in your life or these these living his way, it's because he's trying to protect you from the cliffs and the pitfalls and the traps that the enemy set. Let's go, let's go personal. God is not against sex. He's into it. He made it. He's a big fan of it. Go, whoa, okay, come on, guys. This is truth. Come on. I thought the guys would be like, amen, brother. Prophesy. He's not against it. He's not. But he knows that it's so powerful and so good, it's meant to be in the confines of marriage because it's meant to be under covenant where you're not using it to manipulate your other, the other person. And I'm not saying that to bring condemnation. I'm saying that to say God has a better way. That's good. Not gonna, I mean, in every area, in every area, he's trying to bring fruit. And his word is, is the seed. And it produces True fruit, fruit that doesn't leave you feeling empty, used, neglected, and it's every area of our life. So we don't want to be a divided house. It's the cares, and that word literally means divided. I, can, I like God, but I haven't given all of, this isn't the highest authority in my life. This is just a good idea that I've thrown with the other ones. Amen, amen. The other thing that'll choke out the fruit is this word riches. Now, let me say something. God is not against you being successful and being abundant. He said, I came to give life and life abundantly. Okay? He is not, and it is really bad teaching to equate somehow poverty is equated to holiness. Religion really likes to do that, keep you, keep you down and out. No, but the Bible says that, uh, that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous. The Bible says that you'll be blessed to be a blessing. The good Samaritan was able to pay for the person who got beat on the side of the road because he was successful. Paul had a successful tip-making business so he could fund the ministry he was called to do. Your Bible was written by primarily very successful people. Abraham was wealthy. Solomon was the wealthiest man on earth, okay? So there is not an equation there at the same end, being wealthy does not automatically equate you to be holy too. I know a lot of wealthy people that are very jacked up. Amen, amen. But listen, this word riches, it doesn't just have to do with material things, although that's part of it. It also, in the, uh, the Greek here, putos, okay, that's the word. Plutos, put that L in there. The L is important. Plutos, I'm from San Diego, I know I'm riding a line. 
Plutos means riches, wealth, abundance, materially or spiritually. Look, God, does, God says he's a jealous God. He doesn't want other spiritual alma maters, mantras, belief systems to be in the mix. That's not how he rolls. He's the one God. He loves you. And he doesn't want to share you with Ricky healing, crystals, all the stuff. It's not, it's not how he rolls because that stuff isn't going to help you. It's going to choke the life out of you. Amen. That's good. Thank you, Pastor Matt. All right. And the last one, the pleasures. The word here in the Greek means hedon, or is pronounced hedone. Hedone, which is where we get the word hedon or hedonism. And it means literally to seek pleasure as the main, the main point. It's not, it's saying to pleasure unin, to un of itself. Listen, God wants to bless you. Any good father wants their children to be good. I don't put my kids in soccer and say, son, I'm really rooting for you to be middle of the pack. That's my goal. I don't want you to be too good. You might make me feel bad. No, I'm like, boy, you're going to win. And you're not just going to win. You're going to, like, really win. Like, like those kids are going to find a new sport when you get done. Right? Because I love my son. <laughs> I love my son. God loves you. The cool thing in God's kingdom is you can win and other people can win too. They don't have to lose. This isn't, it's not how God's kingdom works. You winning actually opens doors for more people to win because your testimony can release faith in people and they can say, if they can win, I can win. And God's kingdom isn't limited. That's why his kingdom and his word is referred to as a seed. Listen, if we understand how seeds work, we're never are gonna have a food shortage in the world. We just keep planting more seeds, people. And so know where I got with that, but just, we don't want to have, he's, he's a jealous God, that's right, he's a jealous God, and he's jealous in a good way, I'm jealous of my wife, I love that she's friendly to everyone, and I, I'm not jealous of that, she's loving on people, giving people hugs, that's all great, but there's some things that I have with my wife that none of you guys are going to get to have, okay, and I'm not, I'm talking, come on guys, I'm talking about emotional connection, <laughs> I'm talking about conversations, really letting each other know, Come on, Mallory, get your head out of the gutter. <laughs> She's probably the only one of you that wasn't thinking that. No, but that's, that's a good jealousy. My wife would be highly concerned if I wasn't like, mm, you know? I, 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 I desire time with her, right? I'm glad that we have amazing people up in kids' church that are loving all my kids when they're up there. But I'm their dad, and there's certain things that only daddy's going to handle. Not because I don't love them, because I love them. I, you're not going to, no, I speak into that, right? So that's how God is with you. He doesn't want competing voices because it chokes out the potency of what he does for you. Luke 8, 18 says this, Therefore take heed how you hear, for whoever has to him more will be given. Do you catch the inference there? This is the same parable. He's trying to say, when you let my word be that predominant voice, not your circumstance, not the world, not CNN, not anything else, but my word is where you check in and it's the herald of your life. It's the thing. God said, I'm the head, not the tail. So I'm gonna walk into this business meeting confident. It's the loudest voice in my world. When that happens, you'll see fruit begin to come out. To him who, whoever has to him, more is given. Whoever has this word in him, you're gonna see more and more and more. Okay, point number two. Change your herald. So we're listening to what God says. We're putting that in our heart. We're not letting competing voices hold any weight against. In fact, all those competing voices should do is they should come to this, and if they line up, you're like, cool, I'll let that voice in too, right? I love reading biographies about business people. I like that stuff. Uh, I don't agree with Phil Knight on a lot of things, but his biography on launching Nike was one of my favorite books of all time. I just like entrepreneurs. I like business people, but, but I'm not gonna base my life off of his philosophies 
I just take the inspiration that lines up with the word of God. I like that he's a hard worker. The Bible says you should be a hard worker. I like that he had faith that he was gonna be a success. The Bible says you should have faith that God has plans for you. You understand that my filter is the word of God. And anything that doesn't line up doesn't hold any weight in my life. So that's how we check our hark. But now we gotta change our herald. Going back to the Asher story. So the doctors, they just said that he needed to stay in a coma for five days. And they were, and doctors, here's the deal. I love doctors. I'm thankful for them. They save so many lives. But one thing they are not trained at at medical school is how to give hope. In fact, they're taught to do the opposite because the hospital doesn't want to get sued. They want to give you the, all the scenarios, not give you, you know. And so these doctors, every couple hours would come in and just say passing things. And they're a herald, right? They're the doctor. Oh man, hopefully his heart still works when he wakes up. Uh, you know, he should wake up. Hopefully, you know, we don't know if he'll wake up. You know, oh, he may be in the hospital for months. His body went through a lot of trauma. They would just say all this negative stuff. And I remember just they'd leave the room. And, and like I said, I had a lot of circumstances that could have been the herald to then take what that doctor said and say, this is the final act because my circumstances had been telling me what God was going to do in my life instead of the word of God. And so I had to compete with that, but thank God that he will, he will speak to you and he will be with you. So I was praying, God, I don't want to be, I got to have faith. You're going to heal my son. I got to have faith. I'm listening to worship music, taking communion, listening to worship music on my phone. And my nurse comes in. The nurse had changed her shift. She was my nurse the entire time. That doesn't usually happen, but she was literally our nurse the whole time during the day. And she comes up to me, she says, hey, psst, I'm a Christian too. Like, awesome. She's like, let me show you something. She takes me over to the monitor that's, I don't know, tracking something. She says, this is just a regular computer and it's got, you know that beep that you're hearing? It's got speakers. You can click this, click this, and you can go on YouTube or Spotify and turn on worship music and it'll be much louder than your phone. She taught me how to play worship music on the monitors. Some of you aren't clapping. You're like, is that okay? Is that safe? I don't know, but I was going to have worship music. And so 24-7, worship music was playing in that room. 24-7, I wanted a different herald telling me a different scenario. And I wasn't listening to no like, Jesus, please just help me in my day-to-day. No, I was listening to like, your word is power. I was listening to faith-filled music. I needed, I needed faith in my life. I needed a different herald. And the doctors would come in. They'd be like, what is going on? And turn it off. They'd leave, turn it back on. They just gave up after a while. But on, on day two, as I was starting to let my faith get back up, but I was still in conflict. I looked over at Asher and there were, oh, by the way, I have a picture. Guys, can you show the picture of him with all the stuff? There's my little boy. All right, take it down. I like to look at that one. There's better ones coming up, okay? But I looked over at him and there's water running down his eyes. And I was like, why is that happening to the, to the nurse? And I'm not expecting her to say, well, his eyes are self-lubricating and because he can't blink, you know. He says, oh, well, sometimes uh, the, the induced coma, they'll come in and out of some level of consciousness. They're still paralyzed, but they'll be aware. And those are tears. <sighs> what? He's crying. I was, so the second that, that, right after that, the nurse left. And they had told me, don't move the armrest down. Don't touch him because all the cords. I ripped that armrest down and I got up on that bed and I got right in his face so he could feel me. And I said, Asher, it's okay. Daddy's here. You're brave. Daddy's here. You're going to be fine. And I kept doing that until I didn't see any water coming out of his eyes. And I, and I did that several times whenever I saw those tears. I kept doing that. I kept laying on his face. Asher, daddy's here. You're okay. I know it's emotional, but I promise it lands on a good place. Here's, here's the moment that, the, that fundamentally changed my life. 
It's later that night. I kept kind of checking and looking at him. I was sleeping on the chair and I was laying there and it was like God's clear as day. He said, son, you are like Asher and I'm here and you're listening to your circumstance and the hardship you've gone through. But I'm right here. It was like God said, your faith, your hope, your belief in me is on life support. But I haven't left. I'm right here. And it was like three years of discouragement just fell off me. And I just felt the peace of God, the presence of God. And I knew that this challenging season was going to pass. And I also felt and knew that my son was healed. So the next time I got on his face, I said, Asher, you're fine. You're going to wake up soon, and you're going to shock and awe the doctors. Because we used to do wrestling in our house, and I would call Asher the shock and awe baby because he would just, like, body slam people for no reason. The shock and awe, Asher, Steven, Tago. So I said, you're going to shock and awe the doctors. And then when the doctors started coming in, my, my, my herald changed. They would say negative things. I'd say, hey, just so you know, doc, Asher's going to shock and awe you. I'd say that right to their face. Not mean. I'd just say, Asher's going to shock and awe you. It got, so, it got so well known that the nurse wrote on the whiteboard in the room under all the things he was supposed to take, shock and awe. She wrote it as a checklist on the list. And when that day came to take him out of the coma and they were expecting him to be in the hospital for many, many days, and this is point number three, glory to the king. Why does God want you to know he's with you? Why does he want to be the predominant voice in your life? Because he has plans for you that are good and he wants to bring glory to his goodness and his fatherhood with your life. He doesn't want you on life support. He wants you to hear him. He's speaking. Some of you, he's speaking right now. He wants you to hear him. They say that we can take him off of life support and they're preparing us for the worst, different things. You know, at minimum, he's gonna be here for weeks. His body went through too much trauma. That's what they're saying. So if you guys could show the picture first, that's when he woke up. I wasn't just there in his hard times. I wanted to make sure that when those eyes opened, he said, he saw daddy. He saw daddy. I don't know what consciousness he'd have, and he was two. He won't remember this, but I needed him to know. Daddy's here. Now, about an hour after, they're saying all this stuff. About an hour after, I got a little video. This is him. Look at that. You say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say thank you, Jesus. Look at that. And hallelujah. Hallelujah. Good job. Okay, cute, right? He's talking, that surprised him. He started to eat right away, that surprised them. He started to drink Gatorade, he still loves Gatorade to this day. That surprised him. And they wouldn't let us go because they're just like, you have to spend the night here, we need to. But the next morning, the doctor, we, they took us out of the ICU, they took us in the other, the regular room, and the doctor said, honestly, he's good, he can go home. And I kid you not, as we're kind of getting things packed up, all of a sudden the door flies open. I'm like, what in the world's going on? And it was the ICU doctor who had seen kids die from this infection. She had, like I said, she had been very seasoned and she knew of this infection. She was shocked that it had come back. It was the first time in 30 years it had happened in San Diego County. And she comes in, she says, hold on, there's a mistake. He cannot be going home. There's no way. They made a mistake. She grabs this chart. She flips through it. She looks into the machine. She goes back to the chart. She goes, oh my, she forgets that she's in a room with people. She goes, oh my gosh, this is a miracle. And she pauses because she realizes, it's like, ah, oh, doctors don't say miracle. But I looked at her right in the face. I'm like, ah, you said it. I'm counting. You said miracle. You said miracle. He's going to shock and awe you. We were out of there. He was running on the beach. I'll show you one more picture. He was running on the beach a couple days later. Little champion. 
<laughs> there's that. There's his little bro big brother. Here's the point. We're going to close right here. Two miracles happened in that hospital. My son, which was the most important to me, obviously, as a father, but I got my spiritual life off of life support. Not because of discipline or it was because I was reminded how God feels about me, the Father's heart. My religion is so ugly as it starts to try to put rules to control and that you're only loved if you do this. But God's heart is above all else, he wants relationship. And the rules and the guidelines he has for you are fleshed out to bring life and not make sure your life doesn't get choked out. But he died on that cross so he could have relationship with you. Some of you today, if you were honest, you were like me in that hospital. The world, discouragement, situations, that you've been hearkened to the wrong thing. And because of that, the herald in your life isn't faith, hope, and love. Isn't Jesus is for me. Isn't it's, man, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid, I'm concerned. It's all the things God doesn't want. And he wants to pull you off of life support because he's right here. He's right here. You're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. So we're gonna do two things. First, I'm gonna have everyone close their eyes and bow their head. I believe there's some people in here that you don't have a relationship with Jesus at all. You've heard about him, but you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. And friend, that's how you begin a relationship with the Father God. He's got to deal with our, our mess. All of us have sin. The Bible says in Hebrews that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the fatal error you make is trying to earn God's approval by your behavior because we can't do it. We can't do it. You say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Yeah, but you're comparing yourself to other broken people. I could be a murderer and I could compare myself to a serial killer and be like, I'm not that bad. But the reality of the gospel is a recognition of, man, I'm, I'm, I know I'm not holy in myself, but you're saying that Jesus will make a trade? He'll take away that sin and that shame and that guilt and he'll put it on the cross with him. That's what he did. And then he'll give you his purity, his forgiveness. He'll wash you clean, the Bible says. And that's how you start a relationship with Father God. That's how you step into it. So if you don't have that, you say, man, I feel so far from God. I don't know him. Today, he wants to usher you into the family. To say, you're my son. You're my daughter. The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that he died for your sins, you are forgiven. And nothing can take that away. And now you'll be working from love, not for love. So if that's you today, with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, and you need to just say, you know what? Jesus, I'm coming home. I want to know the heavenly father. I want to be in that relationship. The door is simple. It's Jesus. And so if that's you, head bowed, eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up in the air. Once I've seen it, you can put it down. But just so I know who I'm including this prayer. It's your faith step. It's saying, God, include me. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. You can put it down once I've seen anyone else. Thank you. I just wait for a minute because I feel like somebody you're wrestling. Don't worry about what other people are thinking about you. God, if God's talking to you, respond. If God's talking to you, respond. Awesome, awesome. Okay, I want you guys all look up at me. Okay, we're gonna say this prayer together. If you raised your hand, I'm gonna have you say this out loud and everyone that's already prayed this prayer, you're gonna say it out loud too, so you're not gonna be feeling alone or isolated. But the point is, it's not my magic words. It's, a, it's you're making this proclamation. If you confess your mouth that Jesus is the Lord, believe in your heart that he died for your sins, you're saved and he's gonna actually come into you. This isn't the finish line. This is the starting of a brand new horizon where God's gonna be with you and you're gonna feel the love of God and he's gonna begin to transform you from the inside out. So if you raised your hand, say this out, repeat after me and for everyone that's already done it, repeat after me as well. Dear Jesus, this afternoon, I give you my life. I believe 
that you died on that cross for my sins. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for paying the price for those. I'll turn my life to you now. I want you to be in the driver's seat. Be my Lord and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me new. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give a hand for those people. Now, we're going to close up service, but I want to land the plane here. Let's all stand to our feet. Now, listen, for those of you who just made that decision to follow Jesus, at the end of service, our ministry team will be up here. we got a gift we want to give you. Come up, tell them they'll want to pray with you, and we'll, we'll just help you. Here's the next steps. But now I want to talk to just everyone, whether you raised your hand already today or for the first Sunday, or you're a believer, but if you are honest, you would say, man, my spiritual life has been on life support. I've let the hardness and the disappointments and the things of this world become a herald in my life, and they're the loudest voice and I've lost my faith, hope, and love and I need to recharge and I need to shift. I need to check the hark, listen to God again and I need to change the herald that God is for me and I wanna just put my hand up and say, God, I'm coming back to the Father. I'm coming back to your voice. I'm coming back to your goodness. I'm gonna believe again that you have plans for me. If if you're on life support in an area of your life and you're just saying, God, I hear you again and I wanna hear you again, lift your hand in the air, I'm gonna pray for you. You. God, thank you. Lots of hands. Lord, we thank you that you are good, that you are good, that you are a good father. And right now we declare that we are coming off of life support, that they're taking that tube out and we see your face, Lord, that you love us and we're not going to listen to our circumstance. We're not going to listen to that trauma that happened 10 years ago. We're not going to listen to that person that betrayed us and stabbed us in the back. We're not going to let those be the herald of our life, but we're going to let the word of God dictate what we believe. You said you're the author and the finisher of our faith. So God, we know that if it doesn't look like heaven yet, that you're not done. And we step up and we say that God's voice is the loudest voice. He's the God that says goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. He's the God that says he gives you the power to create wealth. He's the God who says that by his stripes you are healed. So God, we declare discouragement is broken off of your people. Hope and faith are rising and you are with us in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, give God a shout and an amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, For more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.